okay what is it what's up everyone this is jordan obviously from the undergraduate survival guide today we have a good international friend of mine in rachel <laughs> how have you been out there in america um it's been good it's been a, it's been a weird time for sure um you know coming home from school pretty suddenly and then just everything getting shut down but you know take it day by day that's the only way to do it man you know we, we actually had i don't know if you've seen the news recently but we have three more weeks in lockdown in the uk yeah um it's really interesting because you know in the us it's so big um that it's kind of hard to mandate an official rule for everyone so you know there's the federal government that's overseeing the whole us that's saying something but just for example texas um the the mayor of governor of texas decided that texas would reopen next week um so it's interesting to see what all the different places are deciding to do wow is it i mean i feel like this is the typical uk belief but is it true that texas is the worst <laughs> texas is the worst in what sense just all round like <laughs> like gun laws i know are quite crazy there i know you guys are quite you hate electric cars That's it. yeah i mean i would say that the worst is kind of subjective like if you're all for your gun rights and you know liberty for the people and like do whatever you want then texas is a great place to be um but <laughs> yeah generally it does lean a bit more conservative that's crazy do you feel like because obviously you you live in texas but you went to uni in california mm -hmm. is because my image of america is very much like is comparable to a continent and then your states are comparable to like countries within that is mm -hmm. that kind of the impression you get when you're traveling around if you do much out-of-state travel um yeah i guess you, i guess you could compare it to that because the u.s is pretty big um and every state, you know, has its own laws and well, not necessarily all of its own laws, but has, you know, jurisdiction over some specific laws and different states are known for different things. Um, I guess the only difference would be that it's really easy to travel between states. Like there's rarely ever any like checkpoints or anything like that, that like, you wouldn't need a passport. Um, so that's the only difference I would say between like calling them countries or just different states. Mm. I guess that makes sense. How did you find your your year in Europe? Yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought it was great. Um, I uh, basically, I attend a small liberal arts college in California called Pitzer. Um, and so our student body has about a thousand people. Um, so, you know, going to Bristol and taking the computer science classes where it was like 300 people per lecture and like people don't even really show up or they might not show up because everything's online. Um, it was a super different experience, but I'm glad I got to have it. That's fascinating. Like, I remember when you first told me that you don't really have big lectures like that. And the blue, like for me, I feel like I'd much, I'd benefit a lot from smaller classes because you mm -hmm. get to learn things and you have more pressure to show up. Like, did you ever feel kind of, I don't want to say isolated, but almost like there's no external pressure making you do things? Yeah, I definitely felt like, it was a lot more you had to self-motivate um at least like when the classes are small um i feel like you do have a connection with your professor um and i know professors sometimes if kids don't show up to class they'll email the kids and be like oh just want to check in that everything's okay um and so it definitely makes you feel more motivated to like at least be there for the professor so that you know they're not staring at a two-person class or whatever 
Um, so I think it definitely does make a difference in, you know, your motivation and also just engagement in general with your classes. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Because for me, like, if I missed a lecture, <laughs> you just you would never hear anything. Right. Yeah. Easy to feel like you have two separate lives in a sense. Yeah. Do you feel? I mean, you were here for a semester. Mm-hmm. Like, would you have, would you have preferred to do a whole year? Um, I mean, I think a lot of the the fun aspect of being abroad um, was kind of getting to do a lot of the traveling and not necessarily focusing on the schoolwork so much. Um, <laughs> I did I did like my classes for sure, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it it depends on what. I would be looking for because I think I do prefer having smaller classes and like getting to know the other students in the class and the professor really well. Um, so if I were to spend another semester and just focus on my studies, I'd probably rather be back in the U.S. Um, but as far as getting to travel around and stuff, like Europe is very convenient. Mm, yeah, that's true. Like traveling be- between European countries is. So easy and so much fun, I've heard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I don't know. I was just thinking about how um, I had to drive home from California to Texas, and that took me like 23 hours of driving. Um, so, yeah, and then, like, you know, Europe, you're an hour flight and you're in a different country or whatever. Yeah, that anything more than like an hour drive is unheard of, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> in sure. This part of the world. That's in, what's the you learn to drive at 16 right well you can get a license at 16 yeah so you can I think yeah you think you can get your license at 16 um it actually differs between state um like when you can get your permit and when you can get your license but I got mine at 16 that's so crazy because I guess that kind of it's some sort of proof of the way you know the way things are in America whereas I mean you always see like the road trip culture um you have b- big, wide roads, like, designed for, for driving around compared to Europe, where it's all these narrow lanes and back streets. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think it has to do with, um, like, the fact that in a lot of U.S. states, there isn't great public transportation, and things are pretty just spread out, spread out in general. Um, and I think maybe another thing might be um, that our drinking age is 21, and yours is 18, right? So, um, <laughs> You know, if they have people driving and drinking at a younger age, I don't know, I think they saw some issues with that. Because it was 18 for a while in the U.S., and then they changed it. Um, yeah. I feel like 21 is ridiculous, though. I mean, you can do basically anything else when you're 19, 18, apart from drink. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a very interesting debate because, like, if you look at the science, right, like, your brain isn't even fully developed until you're, like, 24 or something like that. Um, but at the same time, having these laws doesn't prevent, doesn't really prevent anyone from drinking. Um, people just might be more irresponsible about it. So definitely a lot of parts to the argument, I think. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the whole, um, what's the terminology for it? Frat, frat party culture <laughs> colleges kind of <laughs> contradicts yeah. that. How yeah. did you find like uni in America before you came to Bristol? Or um, college? Yeah, so I I basically didn't, I never went 
to a school that had any kind of Greek life. Um, I kind of intentionally avoided it. I just felt like it wasn't really great for fostering like an inclusive community. Um, so I actually started college um, in rural Maine at Colby College, um, which is up in the New England area, kind of closest to New York. Um, I spent a year there. It was really, really cold. Um, so I left <laughs> and then I moved to Southern California um, to Pitzer. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it for sure. Um, Pitzer is a part of this five undergraduate college consortium, um, which I think is really, really unique in that, you know, Pitzer is its own school of about a thousand students, but within a mile radius, there's four other colleges. Um, and so you can actually take classes and major at any of the other schools. So for example, Pitzer doesn't have a computer science major, but Pomona, one of the other schools in the consortium has computer science. So I'm mm -hmm. taking all of my classes at Pomona um, while still being a Pitzer student. Uh, so I think what makes that setup unique is that you can have a small, like kind of intimate class size, but you have the resources of a university that's like roughly 9,000 people with all the five colleges combined. Whoa. Yeah. Bristol is, I think, 18,000. Yeah. I can imagine, like, <laughs> yeah, that's, I feel that's a, that's a mid-size, that's a good size uni. Mm -hmm. That's so yeah. well, but did you interact much with people from the other, like, colleges, or are you very yeah, much no, just I, I feel like you can, if you don't want to interact with students from other colleges, you couldn't get away with it, but um, I think that's, been one of the best parts of my experience is just like getting to meet students from the different colleges because each college kind of has a specialty like there's a they're all liberal arts schools but um each college is kind of more known for something so Pitzer is known for social justice work stuff like that um there's a college known more for engineering and stem um there's one that's an all-women's college one that's more known for economics and business um so it does attract different kinds of people um, so, you know, getting to have all these different kinds of people in one place is, I think it makes it a very engaging place. There's always stuff going on. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine that's quite cool, especially how, like, because, I mean, in Bristol, we do have a similar thing with faculties, but you, you live with, you know, random people from random degrees, mm. like, but, like having your own, like, I, I guess, hotspots for, like, the engineers there and then the artists here, it makes it so much more free-flowing I feel like yeah yeah so there every school it kind of I feel like a good example would be if you think about like clubs I think you guys call them societies um but like every school has some clubs that are only for that school but there are also a lot of clubs that are for all five colleges um so that's a really great way to meet people um like one of the ones I've been really involved with is an outdoor club um so people from all the five colleges can get together and like go hiking or go camping over the weekend <laughs> that's sick i wish yeah. you had an outdoors in the uk <laughs> i feel like the weather doesn't totally permit for that <laughs> yes yeah, it's, it's funny how you say you left maine because it was too cold so you came to bristol just <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was really nice i came in the spring so it was pretty nice that's true crazy do you feel like because one thing that I've always I want to say I'm envious of that the U.S. do that we don't is how you do your first year of just like any subjects and then you do your minor and major afterwards mm -hmm. is that something that you like haven't experienced the way we do it here 
is that something that you think is a like do you back that even more now or is it weird yeah no I definitely think that's a great thing to have flexibility so like the thing is that there are liberal arts colleges which allow you for your first two years to not declare a major um and then there's you can go to schools that you go in like more like the UK system and you know you're going to do engineering for four years or whatever um but I think liberal arts colleges are great because I actually my first two years I was a biology major and I was going to go to vet school um and I took all of the bio classes like organic chemistry um genetics all that stuff um, and then I decided my second year that I didn't want to go to vet school. Um, and had I been in the UK system, I think it would have been a lot harder to transfer and change my mind. Um, but now I'm doing computer science and cognitive science. Um, and I think it's a lot better fit for what I now think I want to do. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely a good thing because you can transfer here, but you'd have to realize it very early otherwise you pay money for extra years I mean I guess finances in America are different anyway you got to pay for everything regardless mm. but, but. yeah 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 it, it, I can see the advantages of that because I know a lot of friends who did a course for one year and said no I want to switch and then after two years they want to switch back and then you got to pay all this money and it's it's become so difficult to move around but having that sort of flexibility sounds really cool yeah definitely how come you picked biology in the first place and then what made you switch to computer science? Because I feel like they're two very, very different avenues. Yeah, um, I, I would definitely say that I still really like biology. Um, so I'm minoring in cognitive science, which is basically the study of the mind. And there are five different components. There's psychology, um, computer science, um, neuroscience, and philosophy. Um, and... Yeah, so I feel like I still get to do some bio, but basically I saw computer science as a, an avenue into tech, and I see tech as kind of going to be affecting everything in the future. Um, so I felt like it would give me a lot of options. So even if I go into tech, I feel like I could go into biotech if I wanted to and still be involved in that industry. While if I had gone to vet school, my only option would be to, to would have been to be a vet yeah no that's true it's funny how um because obviously studying california is like very much the tech center of the world <laughs> in many ways mm-hmm. what sort i mean is it true that there are flying cars in california <laughs> um <laughs> not not that i know of i do know that in new york city they have uber with helicopters so a helicopter can come and pick you up <laughs> that's crazy um, and i think i've seen a couple self-driving cars in california um but not, it's not common. <laughs> <laughs> That's so wild. How far out, because obviously California is a really long, but like rectangular state. How far away were you from like, uh, I don't even know what the area is called, just like Silicon Valley, Palo Alto. Yeah, whatever. yeah. So I'm in Southern California. I'm about an hour outside of LA, um, but I would say it'd probably take about seven hours driving to get to San Francisco, the area. Wow yeah <laughs> big state that's so crazy and then again there's like no public transport right yeah there is you can get between LA and San Francisco there's like one train um that runs pretty frequently um but it's faster to just drive that's so crazy. I mean how would you guys survive if you couldn't drive everywhere like I assume <laughs> not all students can can do that sort of stuff yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's it just kind of 
keeps people in one place um, more often. Um, I think it does definitely vary by city. Like San Francisco is known for its really good public transportation, same like New York. Um, so like you definitely wouldn't even want a car there because it's just too expensive to pay for parking everywhere and stuff like that. But in a city like mine, San Antonio, um, there's really not a lot of public transportation at all. So you just kind of have to drive. And it's also very, very spread out. Mm. That's interesting. I feel like in some capacity or another, you almost live the, I want to say, international student lifestyle, even in your own country. Because a lot of UK home students, like we go home, be it like every term or every week or I guess depends on how frequently you want to see your parents, but it seems like you haven't really got the option if you have to drive, you know, three days to get home. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely, um, I noticed this with, like, my friends who stayed in-state, um, and, like, at the beginning of their first years, they would definitely go home pretty frequently, because, you know, your first year is kind of hard, it's hard to make friends, it's a new environment, so you, sometimes you just want to go home, but, like, when I was in Maine, I, it would take me like 18 hours with like two different flights and stuff to get home. So I just only went home for Christmas. That's crazy. Do you think you benefit from that, from having to stay around more, like longer? Yeah, I think, I think it is kind of good because it makes you like put yourself in uncomfortable situations, like go out and make friends, like, yeah, just do the things that you wouldn't do maybe if you had the option to not do them. Mm. That's true. And I guess it prepared you well for for a semester in Europe. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. I feel like transferring universities, I kind of had to do first year two times. Because, um, you know, you get to a new university, you're not necessarily a first year, but you also don't know anyone or how things really work. Um, so it was definitely good practice in, like, putting yourself out there and, like, just trying to meet as many people as you can, like, find things that interest you, stuff like that. Mm. yeah that's crazy I would ask like if you were uh, like if you wanted English speaking international like what that was like but I assume you fit in quite well just like you made friends quite easily in in England yeah yeah I would definitely say that like the language not having a language barrier made it easier um it was interesting because some of my um my friends that I made abroad who English wasn't their first language, they actually found that they had like slightly different personalities um, when they were speaking in English compared to their like first language, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and I think it makes sense because when it's your second language, you're probably a little bit more limited in how you express yourself. Um, so like my friend said that she found herself more like confident when she was speaking in English because she only, you know, had so much vocabulary. And so she would just say it how she knew how to say it and wasn't using a more roundabout way. Hmm, that's interesting. Did you, wait, so what, what second language do you speak? Um, so, this, this? yeah, I would say Spanish. I, I could, like, go to Spain and be fine. Um, I'm working on Chinese. I definitely would not say I'm anywhere close to fluent, but um, <laughs> maybe someday, yeah. Chinese is so, I mean, I thought it takes between 10 and 20 years or something to to learn Mandarin or Cantonese, that just, I could never dedicate that much time to something. Yeah, it's definitely like, all of the Chinese international students that come to America, I think it's extremely admirable because just like, the languages are so different and yeah, yeah, like, you know, having to come here and try to find internships and jobs and all that kind of stuff is 
I don't know. I think it's really cool that people come over and do that. Yeah, I, I've I've a lot of respect for that. But then my only I guess concern is the fees you have to pay. Cause for us, like in the UK, it's obviously like nine thousand pounds for just everyone. Well, I think now it's a bit more, but internationals I know is for my course is like twenty seven, if not thirty plus grand for each year. And that's yeah. insane. Yeah. Um I, I think it is fairly rare um for international students to get like financial aid in America. Um so yeah, they are usually paying the full price, which is for private universities like nearing forty thousand dollars a year, um, which is pretty insane. And I think one of the bad things about that is that, you know, we only get a very small percentage of international students, um, you know, that of course have the money to do that. Um so I don't know, I feel like it could create stereotypes about like what a Chinese person is like, or like maybe what like an Indian student is like, um, just because we only get a certain subset of people from that place. Mm. No, that's definitely true. I can see that a lot in Bristol as well, because the demographic of internationals are generally the more wealthier students, right? The, the guys that are walking around in the Balenciaga shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it'll be, it's fascinating to see the other side of different cultures, because I mean, I always feel like people are a lot more similar than they are different in different cultures, mm -hmm. but you never get to see that if you don't really go out there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know. I think one thing with this this virus thing, it just makes you realize that, you know, even though we say we have all these differences in culture and all that stuff, like we're all just humans, like we can all get this virus and stuff. So like maybe those differences aren't actually that big. <laughs> yeah, very true. What was your experience like? I mean, I guess start us off by saying, where did you travel while you were here? Um, so, oh gosh, <laughs> where did I travel? <laughs> um, I went to Portugal, Spain, a couple of places in Italy, um, and Morocco. And I think I went to, yeah, I went to Ireland as well. Um, I really wanted to go to Greece um, or Croatia, but that did not happen, ran out of time. <laughs> Oh man, maybe next time. Yeah. What would you say was your was the best part of your trip? Um, I would say that Morocco was definitely quite the adventure. Um, I had a lot of fun in Edinburgh. Um, I went there with some good friends. Um, it was just I don't know. It was I thought the city was beautiful and it was very I don't know. The architecture was very cool. Um, and then you know I'm a Harry Potter fan, so all the Harry Potter references were fun. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter is a good one. Do you? What's the reading culture like in America? Because I've always seen this whole self-help culture, but I've never really seen you guys talk about anything non-fiction. Well, fiction, I should say. As far as is it common for people to read fiction? Yeah. Um, I would say that not that many people read in general. Um, I mean, like I'm just speaking like at like from a college student's perspective but at least I find that it's hard to find time to to read um like I I read sometimes in the summer and stuff like that but usually during the school year I just don't have time mm, no I can understand that I've heard that that a lot as well to be fair a lot of my friends used to read a lot in school and then suddenly like you get to uni or like the years before that leading up to it and you just suddenly there are no hours in the day anymore 
Yeah, definitely. Do you find like are you a reader yourself at the moment? Um, yeah, I would say I try to read. Um, one book that I'm working on right now is called Sapiens, um, which I would definitely recommend. Um, and it's basically the history of like Homo sapiens and like how we evolved, like from you know being hunter gatherers to creating societies and it's kind of the how similar we are to you know the people who are in hunter gatherer societies um and just kind of like why why things are the way they are now um i don't know it's a very interesting book yeah yeah it's funny you say that cuz you know before the call we were saying how people are generally different and have different experiences i had the exact mm-hmm. same conversation on the, on the podcast as well like two episodes ago <laughs> about reading sapiens cuz i found oh, yeah <laughs> That's so wild. Do you feel like, I mean, I guess we talked about it a bit already, but how different do you feel like the experience is at uni, especially from your perspective of, of course, US versus UK? Um, I mean, I feel like it more depends on the person. Um, I feel like if you wanted to get an experience where you just party all the time and don't really focus on academics, you can do that anywhere. You know, if you want to focus more on, like, your school work, you can do that anywhere. Um, so it more depends on the person than the actual university. Um, I mean, I think there's there's some differences as far as, like, what's accessible. You know, like, my school is next to Los Angeles, and it's also pretty close to some good, like, hiking and stuff like that. Um, so that changes your experience. But I think people generally try to, you know, are they, like, get out of – university like what they want to Mm. yeah that's true what would you say was your like when you applied in the first place what were you trying to get out of it would you say more like a degree or like what's your take yeah I mean I knew I wanted to do liberal arts because it would give me more flexible flexibility as far as like changing majors and stuff um and I knew I wanted something really different from what I had grown up with um hence going to pretty much the furthest North college in the the U.S. United States. Um, (laughs) But I didn't really know anything like beyond that. Um, And I found out, you know, after I spent a year in like a fairly isolated place that it was pretty important to me, like meeting a lot of different people and also having like a pretty wide variety of experiences. Um, So I guess that like my focus shifted as I like kind of realized what I liked and didn't like. Mm. Hmm. okay how would you say like you went about like experiencing that I mean other than straight up going out and trying new things yeah I mean I would say a lot of it was just like the people um that I was around so like Colby had about 1800 students um which is bigger than Pitzer but it was also in the middle of rural Maine and the closest big city was Boston three hours away um so you know it would like by the end of freshman year, I felt like I had pretty much met everyone on campus. Um, and I felt like I wouldn't really be expanding my circle at all because there wasn't, you know, there wasn't LA an hour away where I could just like get involved with organizations there or something like that. Um, and I did try to join some clubs um, and I, I joined like an outing club there. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, Maine is cold. And so, you know, you'd have about three months where it's nice enough to go outside and not freeze. But beyond that, it's just kind of dark and cold in my experience. Um, <laughs> I wasn't hardcore enough to be like those people that are like skiing and avalanches and stuff like that. 
Um, so, I mean, I feel like I did a similar kind of thing in California, but I, there were just more options for me. Mm. That makes sense. Is it not easy for you to like drive into Canada then? Because I know Maine is quite close to, well, it's on the border, right? Mm-hmm. Is that well, not something you've done? Yeah, yeah, so Maine does border it. Um, my college, I think it took about two hours to drive to Canada, um, but I know that some of the teams would compete with Canadian schools and stuff. That distance is so wild to me. Like <laughs> seven hour drive here, two hour drive there. That's, that's so mad. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a big big place. Are you like in terms of neighborhoods? Obviously, in Bristol, you have like you can walk between within around your your own city. Mm-hmm. Do you kind of have like I don't know the term for it. I guess like do you have like city centers in that as well in America, or is it just everything just so far spread out? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it depends on the city, um, but usually there is like a downtown, which I guess would be equivalent to your city center. Um, but yeah, some cities are a lot more walkable than others. Um, San Francisco, yeah, you can pretty much walk anywhere. Um, but like, yeah, San Antonio would be harder because it's just everything is so spread out. Like there is a downtown, but um, just like, Take you could drive like thirty minutes and still be in San Antonio if you like wanted to go to a friend's house who lived in a different neighborhood. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Like I know for high school, um, it took me about twenty minutes to drive to my school. I mean, that's not that's not terrible. It took me like an hour bus ride to get into mine. Mm, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's still that's still challenging. Do you think like? having hmm like do you prefer it that way or do you have much prefer to be like a uk citizen and just go through our system um i mean i still i i like that um i don't know you don't have to go into college knowing exactly what you want to do um but i do i really liked being able to walk everywhere um i think it's healthier first of all um but it's also just i don't know it makes it seem like there are more things accessible um to you if you're just like oh it's just like a 10 minute walk away like I can go do that it's not a big deal yeah yeah but then I feel like having you know having been raised in a society where everything's close if someone says oh it's a 10 minute walk away that just sounds really long to me now mm-hmm. <laughs> like walking up park street is like the worst part of my day <laughs> it's a good work <laughs> I don't know I think it was it was always a good morning, like, oh, it's time to wake up now. You're sweating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I, I feel like I would benefit from driving everywhere. I guess because I can drive. <laughs> yeah. But... I mean, I guess it, it does definitely give you, like, realistically, it gives you a much wider range of things you can do. Um But, yeah, I guess people just don't usually tend to drive, like, you know two hours if they don't have to yeah i can't even think of because i mean other than the obvious states that i know like texas california and all that these are the big massive states what are the Mm -hmm. like i I imagine if you live in somewhere like wyoming or somewhere smaller it wouldn't be the same yeah i mean wyoming wyoming is pretty big um but um there are yeah there are definitely smaller smaller states um but i feel like people still just kind of drive anyways um i'm not sure like i'm just i haven't 
experienced living in a smaller state. Um, I guess Maine is definitely smaller than Texas, um, but there's just not really a whole lot in in Maine, so I never really had a reason to drive anywhere. <laughs> yeah, true. What's your opinion on the um, like how your finances work? Because obviously you got to take out fat loans and. I'm yeah, so no, I, I, I wish that it was easier. There was better access to education for sure. I think it's, I think the issue is just growing. Um, like financial aid and loans and stuff, they help a little bit, but just the price of college is pretty absurd. Um, and I think that is kind of a responsibility of the government to be taking on, you know, some responsibilities for students so that they don't graduate with like, you know, $180,000 of student debt. Um, Cause education is pretty important, I would say. Um, and foundational and just like, creating educated citizens and stuff. Um, and that's not even just talking about like stuff like liberal arts schools, even stuff that's like, um, you know, practical training skills, like schools where you learn to become like a mechanic or something like that. Um, you know, making that accessible is just as important because, you know, we need mechanics. Yeah, yeah, I know for sure. I definitely, because in the UK, our system's a bit more, I don't even know if you, how much you looked into it here, but we have like apprenticeships where, mm-hmm. Most of the training jobs, like in terms of straight up mechanics, you can be taught um, as an apprentice and you get paid to learn at the same time. And I feel mm-hmm. like that whole thing is, I mean, I never did it and I don't really regret not doing it either. But I feel like there's so much potential in, you know, training contracts or things like that, as opposed to just paying for anything in general, because you're kind of you paying for it kind of makes it seem like you're getting something out of it. Whereas you shouldn't need to get a job out of uni because you should just be able to, to get jobs like as it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I just think that people are different and like some people are just not made to do a four year course um, and study liberal arts. You know, some people, it just makes a lot more sense to just go into technical training like that, like get your degree in like a two years or something like that. Um, and I feel like that option should be available to people who want it. <laughs> yeah absolutely how much did you pay across your three unis (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah basically the uh the tuition for the private universities is i think it's forty two thousand for a year (laughs) that's a whole degree (laughs) yeah so you guys have it good for sure um and there are definitely like cheaper options. There's like community college. I don't know if you guys have something like that. Is that just where it's free entirely? Uh, no, it's not free, but it's a lot cheaper. Um, <laughs> and usually, usually what people do is they do like two, one or two years at community college, so that they only have to spend like one or two years in like a full, like a four year institution, which are more expensive. Um, and then there's also in state versus out of state. Um, so usually, if you live in a state. You're going to have in-state schools where it's probably around the price of it's probably more expensive probably like ten thousand a semester or something um for in-state people um but yeah like texas has um ut austin um and AM, which are big in-state schools so if you live in texas then you get that discount otherwise if you're an out-of-state student you'd have to pay like the forty two thousand dollars or whatever that's ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, so it's important to... to be in a state that has good schools, I guess. <laughs> yeah, literally. I mean, if you're born somewhere, well, if you live in a in a state without the school that you don't want to go to, it's you're kind of screwed. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. It's not good, and it's not. I don't know. It's not accessible. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Is that? I mean, I feel like based on what I know, I've seen pictures of like Cornells and MITs and these massive like colleges. I feel like the money is at least put to good use. Is that fair to say? Like you have massive sports fields, big facilities, like a lot of trips. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it really varies per school, um, and like whether or not the money is being allocated well is always up for debate because um, you know if you think about it from a university like a private university perspective like it kind of is like a business right you want to attract good students so you want it to look all good and shiny um, but you know there might be underlying issues like are the mental health resources being provided to students like stuff that people don't really think about or like aren't as like visual um, I'm not sure if that's the right word um, but yeah, I don't know. I think some schools are doing better jobs at allocating their funds um, than others. Um, I think that one of the benefits of like having the smaller private school is that yeah, you do get that like kind of one-on-one -on -one attention with professors, um, and like you might have just in general like better connections with people who are in um, you know an industry that you're interested in or something like that. Yeah, it very much reminds me of like how private schooling works in the UK where you have like the craziest resources, the craziest network, but then of course it comes at a price. Mm -hmm. And I suppose it does come down to the student at the end of the day. Like if you're going to make the most of what you have or, you know, coast through, but then it's good how you mentioned mental, uh, mental health. Cause I feel like that very much determines, you know, whether you enjoy uni or not. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think a lot of schools um, are not allocating enough resources towards those kinds of services, just because, you know, like when you're on your college tour, you don't, people ask about, you know, the sports field or the, the science program or whatever, but no one really thinks about like, oh, but if you're struggling with your mental health, like, are there resources to be supported here? Um, so I think it goes overlooked, or it is overlooked a lot. By colleges mm, that's a shame do you feel like there is at least because I mean in Bristol we have like the student support services you can talk to a well-being advisor and like whether you know it's up for debate whether these resources are actively promoted but at least they're there if you need them mm -hmm. do you feel like there's some sort of structure in place well I guess it's difficult to say for all of America but like for your college or for your experience or is it more of just like a complete oversight yeah, I mean, I, I, my experience with the health system in the UK was like pretty favorable as far as um, like most things don't cost anything, like just going to see the doctor for something doesn't cost anything. So I think like the whole healthcare system is in general better in the UK. Um, but as far as like on campus mental health resources, I would say it definitely varies between school. Um, and I think our schools kind of we're having an issue with just understaffing in general. Um, and like, it would take like a month to get your first appointment, something like that, which I think is a pretty big deal. Cause if you're having an issue now, a lot of things can change in a month, you know? Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Especially cause Bristol is very much known for 
<laughs> mental health. Um, mm. Let me try not to get expelled or anything, but <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. I would have thought that, especially because America, I feel like you guys are very much on top of like you know the Me Too movement and all these like a lot of things seem to originate or at least be amplified in America. Mm-hmm. I guess from that image, I'd always expect you to be more on the ball with with these sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, I think it it really does vary with like region and school and stuff like that. Um, and I think um, our situation is a little bit different because of the consortium. So basically, the mental health resources are a shared resource among the five schools. So in order to fund it, um, all of the schools have to agree on something rather than just one school having to decide. Um, so I think that slows down a lot of um you know changes in budget or decisions that need to be made mm. that's so wild i can see how that's difficult with you know five institutions instead of one yeah definitely. intuitively you'd assume that that's like five times the budget so you should be able to <laughs> in theory I mean, yes <laughs> yeah in theory but even still like nine thousand is not a lot of people you'd think you know one yeah. counselor for every hundred students even though it sounds ridiculous like you think that would be, you know, doable or enough? Yeah, definitely. Is there like, I mean, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying as hard as I can to avoid politics because I know that it's never going to end well. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole school shooting culture is that prominent, like in unis as well, or is that very much just lower schools? Um, I don't know. Like, what do you mean? Like, are people worried about it a lot in uni? Yeah, like. Do you guys have like training or anything? Because I, I remember reading about how some teachers have been trained how to use guns in case of these sorts of situations. Yeah, I, as far as I know, no teachers. I mean, I'm sure they probably receive some sort of training, like if there was a lockdown. Like I think they just generally call it like a lockdown procedure. Um, but there isn't really a whole lot of talk about that. Um, I think mainly because the schools are kind of smaller, um, so we might not be such a big target. Um, but I remember last summer I was um, I was a teacher for a kids coding camp. Um, so these were like kids like eight to fourteen or whatever, and we were definitely trained in like what to do if there was like an active shooter and like where to take the kids and like how to barricade the door and stuff like that. Um, so I think maybe it is a concern more for like the younger schools but I'm not really sure yeah that's so wild I mean I could never imagine what's that's like I mean we haven't even got guns in the UK (laughs) yeah yeah the there's yeah the gun issue in in America is uh an interesting one (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a whole different podcast though yeah (laughs) I I don't even know where because like Again, trying to avoid politics. <laughs> the way things are done here, I feel like there's... I mean, we complain a lot about just things in general, but it's never anything... Like, there's no, like, you know, healthcare's free. Uh, there are generally resources for everyone. You're generally safe going around. Is that... I mean, you've, you've always seemed like a bubbly person anyway, but <laughs> what's the threat level in terms of how free are you really? Um, I mean, I think it it kind of... It varies, again, by state. Um, So, like, I would say definitely growing up in Texas is different from growing up in California. Um, Like, pretty much every family I know owns 
at least a gun, one gun. Um, not that they like carry it around all the time. Although I do know some people who like kind of always have a gun on them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily, I mean, I would prefer personally for there to be less guns, but I think at this point there are so many guns in so many households that it's kind of hard to go back from that. Um, I mean, I don't really feel, I don't know, I guess I don't think about it that much because maybe I've grown up with guns being around. Um, but I mean, I would say relative to the UK, there's probably more concern or like more feeling of threat. Cause I know like when I spoke to some people over in the UK, they'd be like, oh, I don't want to come to the US cause everyone's just going to shoot each other. Um, but I don't think that there's like that much of an active concern as far as I can tell. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I think for me, like, I mean, guns aside, I I wouldn't say I'm scared to go to America. Like, I still want to go at some point. I've taught you, taught you in the past as well about, like, road trips and stuff. But mm-hmm. it always seems like discrimination is such a big thing, be it, like, race-related or gender-related. Like, America seems so slow to react to, you know, the bigger social issues. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it goes, it goes down the area, I think. Um and I think one of the reasons why it's like more well or more talked about in the US is because the US is pretty diverse. Um, and so like there's more of a chance for there to be like issues with racial discrimination and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, if your population is generally homogeneous, then like those issues probably won't come up as much. Mm. Have you experienced anything like that? Not necessarily like a gun threat, but <laughs> have you? been because i imagine hmm, i don't know like in the uk most of the chinese people that live but what i study here i guess are international and mm-hmm. there's a very much like what's the word like you kind of assume but there's a, there's a smarter word for it mm-hmm. <laughs> have you been because i mean obviously you're like as soon as you talk i know you're american but mm-hmm. have you experienced anything like that any like maybe racism or sexism um i mean i would definitely say that there's like there's always just kind of like little things that people will kind of assume about you. Um, just like being Asian in general, like anywhere you go. Um, as far as racism, like kind of, I feel like it was more, it wasn't really outright like, oh, this person's saying something very racist to me, but just kind of implied in terms of like, oh, like I recognize you're like different from, you know, the other white people or something like that. Um, but I don't know, I think it, like, it really varies, because, like, California, for example, like, a large proportion of the population is Asian, so it's going to be very different being Asian in California versus being Asian in Maine. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it really varies. Yeah, that's very true. I feel like Andrew Yang would have changed all that. <laughs> yeah, Yang <laughs> 2020. Uh, it's, I find it fascinating how, um, like, you know, I mean, in the UK is very much like we have honestly, two dominant parties and then it's very much like it's, it's a 50-50, I'll say, every year. But in the last decade or so, it's kind of been obviously conservative. But, you know, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I find it fascinating how America is very much like the biggest budget wins, unless you're Bloomberg. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely still a two-party system, um, which I think is limiting. Um, 
But yeah, the whole the whole way elections are I don't know that much about how elections are funded in the UK. Um, but I think that they're yeah, there's definitely an issue with how PACs is what they're called, like can like basically companies can fund like a candidate and stuff, um, and how that'll affect policy in unfair ways. Hmm. Super weird. Have you been I mean this is this is a such a random like <laughs> I don't even know why I'm asking this, but how have you found like the whole stimulus check thing? Are you eligible for that at all? Um, I don't think I am because I'm a dependent. Um, and as far as I know, I don't think that they're including like college age students. Um, I haven't read that much into it. Um, because I think it's more for people who were like fully employed and are no longer employed. Okay. Because I, I don't know, I've been reading a lot about how um, I think they're trying to introduce a new policy, is it? To give everyone like two grand a month. That's like 16 plus. And I don't know, I might move to America soon. <laughs> yeah, no, I know that they, they had the initial, um, the $2 trillion bill that they were like a like relief package, basically. Um, and I think that they were, they were talking about a second one as well, because just the unemployment has been crazy. And yeah, just the whole economy of this whole thing is is unprecedented. Yeah. Have you actually experienced that? Because I mean, it's one thing to read headlines, but what's it been like locally in terms of, you know, six million jobs lost or all these big numbers? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I personally haven't experienced it because I've most of the people I talk to are, you know, university students who had the option to go home and just kind of live with their families. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I do know that like, San Antonio is generally not like a super wealthy city. Um, so like the food bank is having a huge issue because like thousands and thousands of people, you know, they can't afford food anymore. So they're just lining up in cars um, to try to get food and stuff like that. So scary, man. Yeah. I, I feel like because obviously this isn't a, a banking issue. It's more of a a science one, I guess, if anything, but. I've always been optimistic that within the next few months, maybe a year max, things will be fine. But just seeing the numbers is, is just so scary, I feel like, especially in America, because you guys seem to be doing the worst. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it, it is relative because we, we're such a huge, huge country. Um, but yeah, as far as like things going back to normal, I think it's going to take a long time. And I think it's also dependent on, yeah, whether or not the virus mutates and that kind of thing and if governments are smart and we stay kind of vigilant with the restrictions and stuff um but i don't think anyone can really predict exactly what's going to happen mm. how was your because i mean i know obviously you're doing online work from now on but how have you really adapted towards a new climate because here it's just everything is just zoom or skype and there's nothing really else to do yeah, no, I think it's definitely been very different in terms of just not having any structure, really. Um, you know, aside from having, you know, four hours of class or whatever, where you have to, like, turn on your computer. Um, you know, before it was like, you know, you go to class, but you also have, like, your clubs and you also have your meetings with your advisors or whatever. Um, and so there is just a lot more structure in every day. Um, and so for me, it's been kind of creating my own structure because I, I do like structure a lot. Um, so like making my own schedule and being like, OK, this is the time where I'm going to 
go on my walk or like this is the time where I'm going to cook and um, do stuff like that or talk to my friends. Mm, yeah, I can definitely get behind that. I feel like the worst part, well, you know, things will be the worst when you lose that structure because getting up at like 3 p.m. is <laughs> yeah, it's not the way forward. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I find it tough. I think it's different because obviously you started classes. Um, most unis in the UK, or at least to my knowledge, don't really start until Monday, if not the week afterwards. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know what I'll do. Like summer is my biggest concern, I guess, because assuming we're still locked down, once you lose that premise of, you know, I've got to work towards these exams or whatever, it's kind of like, what next? You know, I'm trying to find time to do things or find yeah. things to do in that time. Yeah, no, I I feel like even though, you know, a lot of people are concerned about, I think rightfully concerned about having school at home because, you know, not everyone has the same home environment. School has been like a little bit of, you know, an opportunity to like have something to do that I have to do. Um, So a little bit of structure. Mm. Do you do much, like what do you do outside of studying? Um, I try to go outside when I can. I think, I think, I don't know. I personally find that exercise is really, really good for you. Um, just in terms of, I don't know. I mean, there's the whole fitness thing, but it's just, it gets you outside and like scientifically, you know, it releases endorphins and stuff like that. Um, so I'd say definitely like trying to do something active every day, um, has been really helpful. Um, staying in contact with my friends, um, for sure has been good. I'm working on like trying to learn Chinese, uh, Duolingo, you know, which isn't going to make me fluent, but it'll increase my vocabulary at least. Um, <laughs> but I don't know, just trying to like kind of learn things like cooking stuff that I kind of put off before, but now I have no excuse <laughs> to not do it. <laughs> yeah, very true. I've been trying to cook recently and it's going okay. I haven't done <laughs> much yet. Yeah, it's a learning process. You know, you have to like make some bad things and then eventually they'll hopefully become good. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned that, you know, an ounce of sweet and sour sauce will save most things. So, oh no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> how have you found, because obviously I know that what your diet is like, but how have you found, you know, like a limited, limiting diet, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think it, um, I don't know. I think it really goes down to just kind of like what makes you feel good. Um, One thing I've been looking into is because I feel like there are a ton of different diets out there. There's like, you know, the keto diet and the like this diet and that diet. Um, And I think it goes down to more just eating things that are kind of natural and minimally processed. Um, And so like, yeah, I have like some dietary restrictions because of health issues and stuff like that. But in general, I think it just makes sense for people to be eating things that aren't as processed um because you know we survived thousands of years without box cereal or something like that um (laughs) there's no reason why we couldn't just cut that out now um and I think it does kind of change how you feel um you know what you eat influences how you feel um so I mean just kind of try to eat things that make you feel good (laughs) yeah feel good foods Mm -hmm. you're wait vegetarian right well like I, I was vegetarian for five years, um, but then I developed a gluten intolerance and I'm also um, lactose intolerant. Um, so that took out a lot of food groups because a lot of like fake meats actually have gluten in them. 
Um, so yeah, now I mainly, I'd say like the closest thing that my diet would be, would be like a paleo diet. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Um, but the emphasis on that is mainly just eating unprocessed foods, like closest to their natural state as possible. So weird. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I mean, I'm someone who I don't, I don't think twice about what I eat or what I buy purely because mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I, I live very much in the, uh, what's it called? Like the sale section of shops. Yeah. <laughs> And my experience, at least, is that meats are generally cheaper than vegetables. Like, for two pounds, I can get four meals out of chicken, whereas that's one bag of apples. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't know. It just seems very difficult to to get around knowing that you can't eat certain things, especially if it's for health issues. Because if you're vegetarian by choice, like, when push comes to shove, I, I imagine people would, you know, would falter that if it's like a life or death situation. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, what's that been like for you? Because, I don't know, for me, I, I would definitely struggle, especially in uni, having to cook every day. If I couldn't, yeah. if yeah, I was like, no, for example. I think food accessibility is definitely also an issue. Um, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the terms like food desert, stuff like no. that. Um, so basically, the idea behind food desert is that um, kind of the government subsidizes more unhealthy foods you know like sodas and processed foods and stuff like that so they become cheaper um so in a food desert you know all of those things would be available um but there isn't like fresh produce and stuff like that so people don't even have the option really um so i think that kind of you know depends on location i keep saying that um but it's definitely i guess maybe from like a social aspect it's harder um as far as like well no one's eating out now but um, back in the day when people did go out to eat at restaurants, you know, <laughs> you always have to be worried about like, oh, can I go to this restaurant? Like, I can't really go to pizza restaurants or like, you know, stuff like that. Um, but I mean, if you think about it, a lot of places, if you just take off like certain sauces or something, it'll be fine. Because, um, you know, not having dairy or gluten is just kind of plain food, you know, just like grilled chicken and vegetables or something like that. So I feel like it kind of forces me to be healthy, um, which is probably good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess in the grand scheme of things, it is. I mean, this whole situation has made me think a lot more about, I guess, general health. Like, I've never been a smoker anyway, but for me, it's like people that are looking at, you know, a respiratory, blah, blah, a breathing disease <laughs> mm-hmm. and still freely smoke. It's like, surely you'd think you know, you want to keep your chances high. And the more I think about that, the more it transpires through to why I eat. I mean, I still don't really check labels much, but I'm definitely more aware of like such and such vitamins or such and such acids and things like that that may not necessarily be uh, useful, I guess, in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I actually don't know. I know some people are very like aware of counting macros I don't even really know what that means um and and I don't know I don't think you necessarily have to be that like that aware of it I think definitely one of the biggest um things is sugar and added sugar um like a lot of things way more things than you would think have added sugar to it um when it's just kind of not necessary um and I think that sugar is also really addictive um, so I guess if that's something you, if you want to try to be eating healthier, that's just something to look out for. 
yeah to be fair my my biggest like i want to say change in the last year or so is costco because mm. as, once you get into those american portions <laughs> <laughs> i think i bought i went to costco what yesterday even and i bought a hot dog for like a pound expecting like a little you know uk size hot dog and i get a whole quarter like half a pound <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah portion sizes do matter for sure they really they change things yeah it's insane did you i mean i guess it's different because you didn't your diet's already restricted but did you ex- experience at all like having to eat or order more food here like once you came once you were in the uk compared to back home or was it more or less the same I mean, I personally found it to be kind of the same. I think Bristol is kind of a bit of a bubble in terms of having a lot of really good access to good food. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I guess the only big difference is there wasn't as much fast food options in Bristol. Um, You know, there wasn't a McDonald's at every corner. Like in Texas, we have Whataburger. Um, So yeah, I would say that would be the main difference that I noticed. Mm. what would you rank Bristol in terms of your favorite cities favorite cities like in the whole world <laughs> <laughs> well that you've been to I guess um, in the world why not oh man I mean I really liked Bristol for sure and they're they're known to be like the vegan gluten-free like center of the UK or something right so <laughs> I definitely yeah. like I found more options in Bristol than I have in Texas for sure um like in texas they'll be like what what is gluten i I don't even know what gluten is um and you know we put butter we we fry everything we put butter on everything um so yeah i thought bristol i don't know i really love bristol um i'm trying to think of other places that i traveled while i was abroad um i think i yeah i talked about edinburgh before i think spain is incredible just in general every every city i've been there has been has been really cool is it? I mean, I know it's a stereotype already, but would you say that Europe's nicer than America in terms of the people? <laughs> um, oh man, I don't know. I feel like I feel like maybe like I'm trying to. I kind of dividing my interactions between like people I just meet on the street, and I feel like I never really interacted with people just like on the subway or on the street that much, and I also don't really interact with people like that in Texas, as far as like getting to know people, I would say that, I don't know, at least the the UK students said that they felt like Americans were a lot more open and they would just kind of say whatever they wanted and were like, oh yeah, like come join us, whatever, it's not a big deal. Um, and in the UK, like it takes a while for people to warm up to you. Um, and like, I felt like people maybe were a little bit more reserved at the beginning um, of first meeting them. But overall, I wouldn't say that like Americans are, like gonna be better people than people in the uk or anything like that <laughs> so i guess in summary you're saying that americans are evil yes that's exactly <laughs> what i'm saying <laughs> that's interesting i feel like well then again i see where you're coming from a lot of people in the uk we're not necessarily you know oh, come and join us we're not uh i suppose as outward mm-hmm. as i can imagine you know some other people might be but I don't know I've never really thought of that you know that aspect hmm. I guess yeah. it comes down to like not tribalism but you know you kind of 
you have your group and you kind of stick to it. I feel like that sort of, um, let's call it squad culture, for lack of a better word, but, you know, just staying in your group. I definitely feel that as a prominent thing here. More so in uni, I feel like, than like when I was in school or like just on the street, for example. But yeah, yeah. that's an interesting point. I think it I think it obviously depends on the person too. Like if you're just not that outgoing of a person, like then you're probably just not gonna go up to people and start up conversations, you know? Mm. Cause I think when I went to Singapore I noticed a lot that <clears throat> purely because it's warmer there, there are so many more things you can do. Like if you wanna go out you can, but you can also stay outside or go to a zoo or there are so many options. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the UK, at least in my experience, it's very much like it's too cold to do anything else other than, you know, go to the pub or stay uh, inside yeah. of your friends. And there's a whole culture of like, you know, let's go to Spoons or, you know, let's go to the, let's go out. There's not really, you know, there's no zoo culture <laughs> like there's yeah. in other countries. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely say that having good weather opens up a lot of options for sure. It's It's generally warm in like Texas, right? Yes, it's generally like pretty hot. I don't know. Okay, wait, let me see if I can translate it. Um, so basically, it's already like this past week in Texas, it was already 37, like almost 37 degrees <laughs> Celsius. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, our summers are usually pretty, pretty rough, like up towards like 40 42 um so yeah in southern texas so i'm in southern texas but you know northern texas in the in the winters it snows all the time but that's like an eight hour drive away so that makes sense (laughs) that's so weird to imagine like texas is very well not very but you're closer to the equator than we are Mm -hmm. (laughs) i can't imagine there being snow yeah yeah well it's a big state so (laughs) that's crazy you're, I mean, San Antonio is closer to, you're quite close to Mexico, right? Um, We're about like a three hour, three and a half hour, four hour drive to Mexico. So I wouldn't say like close, close. There are definitely some cities in Texas that are like right on the border. Like you could like touch Mexico and still be in Texas, you know? Mm, well, touch the wall anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your, what's the capital well not capital but the main part of texas is dallas right or houston um yeah the capital so the capital is austin which is about one hour north of san antonio um the big cities are san antonio austin houston and dallas i would say do you get to like how close are you to where the rockets take off <laughs> so i think that's houston so houston and dallas are both about a five hour drive away that's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I don't get there very frequently. <laughs> That's so wild. It's hard to wrap, to wrap my head around such long distances. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the longest I've ever driven is to Liverpool, and that's three and a half, maybe four hours. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the UK is relative to the US pretty small. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how how many UKs you can fit in Texas. Um, I don't know. I have seen a map though of um Texas superimposed on Germany, and it's definitely larger than Germany. <laughs> <laughs> that is so wild. Do you like how frequently do you have to fly? 
Um, I mean, I guess I don't fly that often just because I'm a my lifestyle is I go to college. Um, so like <laughs> I drive to school, I stay there, and then I like drive home for Christmas or whatever. Um, and then I think like once you it once you like graduate, it really depends on your job. Um, you know, if you travel a lot, then you would fly a lot. Otherwise, not really. I mean, maybe for vacations. Mm. Surely that will have a big impact on your like job making. Like, it's hard to. It's gonna be hard to work outside of your state. Surely, unless you move. Yeah. No, you definitely have to um, relocate for that. Um, if you like, yeah. If you get a job in a different state, you definitely would move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to like internships or grad schemes, well, I don't know if you even have that, but what's your process for applying stuff like that? Because that, yeah, that must so be a big move. Companies usually, uh, I, I don't know about like full-time roles, but companies will pay for your relocation fees. Um, so yeah, like with my internship, they, they were going to cover, they made it remote now, but they were going to cover like my flight to California um, housing for the summer and then my flight back home. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did they still pay you to to work, or is it just like the yeah? Does that kind of yeah. come out of it? No. So there was like the stipend for housing, and then there was the pay for the actual work. That's so that's so crazy. I would love to work in Silicon Valley <laughs> as like an internship because as an intern, you can kind of do what you want. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they're really great opportunities for mentorship because you know, like once you get a job, like you do the work that you're assigned. But being an intern, you get to ask more questions, I feel like. Mm. Have you really had much of that in your like short time? Um, so I have had internships before. Um, I had an internship at a really small startup, um, which I think was a really good experience as far as just, you know, all hands on deck. You have to really do some work because there isn't anyone else around to do it for you. Um, so I would say that like having an internship at a small startup would be really different from being at a big company. Um, like definitely very big, different experiences. Um, yeah, like the, the company I was working and working for this summer is bigger. So I'm excited to like have like a formal mentor and stuff like that. Hmm. Are you purposely avoiding the name or am I allowed to ask? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 yeah, I'm so I'm gonna be a product manager at Reddit. <laughs> I wonder what that's like. Is that just like managing through different threads or? <laughs> um, different yeah, so I think it has to do with kind of more user experience. Um, so I'm specifically working on like the search team. Um, so that would be like improving like people's like are they getting to the content they want to? Um, as well as kind of working. So a lot of Reddit's traffic comes through people just doing Google searches and then like a Reddit thread will show up, um, mm. so like kind of optimizing that kind of thing. How, hmm, how techy are you? Um, I mean, I'm a computer science major. I don't know if that, if that tells you. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you picked biology first, so I have to ask. Um, I mean, I would say that I'm probably not on the like, I wouldn't say I'm super techy. Like I don't wear tech shirts, um, and <laughs> I have interests outside of the computer. Um, but I would say that technology is really interesting to me, um, and I think that 
there's a lot of, it can do a lot of good. Um, and there's a lot of really, really great things that can come out of tech. Um, and I think that there's also a lot of work that needs to be done as far as like encouraging those like for good projects or social good products. Cause with big tech, you know, it's easy to get sucked into making products that aren't really that helpful. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of unnecessary products made for people, a very small subgroup of people who can afford them. Yeah. Like there's definitely an accessibility issue. I want to say within tech, mm-hmm. but then I don't know. I guess it's because from a UK standpoint, we don't really have many big, big tech companies. I mean, all the big phone brands are, you know, Apple is obviously uh, American as Google. Uh, mm-hmm. You have so much going on in America. And for me, as a UK person, it's kind of like just having access to that in general, or like especially living in California, being close to it is something that's unparalleled. But then, yeah, yeah I can definitely see like, it's interesting how, of course, a new iPhone came out today, even maybe yesterday, for like what three nights. And you can definitely see companies taking a lot more interest in, uh, I want to say, compromise as opposed to innovation and just making all these unnecessary. I mean, like four cameras. Who needs that? But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I see what you mean. Is that something that you like observe firsthand, or is it more or less just? kind of what you see on the news um yeah I don't know I would I would say it it probably is more on the news because my the majority of my experience has been still in college and I haven't really spent that much time in industry um but if you just kind of look sometimes at the products that are being put out um like one thing that I've been trying to engage with is kind of tech for good or the idea of tech for good um Mm. like philanthropy projects and stuff like that and I feel like you don't hear that much about those kinds of projects um, in in like big tech news. You know, it's more about like the fancy drone gadget or like, you know, wearable, you know, video cameras and stuff like that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. I would I would like to see more work being done to like for like improving people's lives and stuff like that in meaningful ways, because I think tech has the money for sure. And it has, you know, it has the resources as far as brain power um so yeah i think we should be trying to focus more energy on that yeah absolutely how have you been like finding these projects because i mean i know there are so many like this financial times for example that is very focused on economics but there's no unless i'm just naive to it but i haven't seen any big um tech for good spaces out there like how do you come around to finding or hearing about these things yeah no I definitely think that there's not a whole lot of stuff like that out there um I think it comes kind of from the fact that in our engineering educations we aren't really taught about ethics it's not a core part of you know the classes you have to take and stuff like that so people just aren't thinking about it as much um so then that kind of translates to in industry people also aren't thinking about it that much um but I would say like the most prominent places maybe that you might find it is like all of these big companies like Apple and or not Apple, but I know Google um, and Microsoft, at least they have like a philanthropy department. Um, so like they are there. They're just not really talked about that much, I would say. Um, and then I know at least at a college level, like I'm involved in like my local tech for good organization. Um, and we work on like bringing speakers to campus that talk about ethics, stuff like that. 
Um, but it is definitely like a, a small, smaller subset of people and hopefully it's growing and I think it is growing. Um, but just talking about, you know, like policy, like policy in tech isn't really talked about that much, like what's ethical and not. Um, but I think the conversations are growing slowly. Mm. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. I didn't even realize that as much, but it's hard to say, I guess I still have two years left of uni, but engineering, at least in my you know, limited experience, is all a lot of maths, a lot of application, a lot of how to do things, but you've never really been taught about ethics. So that's, yeah, that's an interesting point. I do feel like there's an underlying, I want to say pressure in industry to keep prices down, but to speed things up. Because I guess when you're in a project-based industry, it's very much like, we'll take this contract for X amount and then someone else will be like, oh, we'll do it in half the time for half as much. And I feel like that then that that business side is a big like stagnation point. But yeah, it'll be interesting to hear more about you know the ethics behind it and why decisions are made as opposed to you know four squared is 16 yeah no i i think it's definitely it's a it's a tough issue because it makes sense like if you're getting an engineer engineering degree in computer science like you have to know like the fundamentals of computer science and like how to code and stuff like that um so it's definitely hard to argue for something that people might consider more fluffy you know it's not essential to making the most um, you know, efficient algorithm or something like that. Um, but I think what people need to realize is that, you know, the algorithm that you're creating is not going to be acting in a vacuum. You know, it's going to have implications that you probably aren't going to be aware of unless you have a group of people that are specifically thinking about it. Mm. Yeah, it's, it is sticky, though, because I feel like I was talking to my friend about this the other day when it comes to, like, the law side of it, the legislation. Mm -hmm. and how far these you know these laws are behind in terms of let's say electric cars for example there's no real legislation about who takes the blame if there's an accident yeah and i definitely think like there's there's a big void there in terms of lawyers that know about tech and then technologists that know about law i think that's probably the biggest you know biggest hole in the market i guess yeah no i definitely think policy is 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 yeah, I mean, it, that always happens, though, I think in science in general, like policy lags behind um, innovation. Um, so just hopefully it'll naturally come eventually. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I'm definitely going to look more into the ethics behind it as well, because that's an interesting point. Have you been taught anything about that in your, because I know you said you bring speakers and stuff, but yeah, you, you learn about that in uni or is it just you're going out of your way to find it? Um, I would say that like the majority of like my direct engagement more with Tech for Good has been through clubs and outside of school. Um, I am currently in like a social justice, social justice and ethics class um, for STEM just in general, um, which is a discussion based class. And it's more about understanding the inequity in tech or in, in STEM and why it's arisen, um, which I think I mean, it's not like the class that'll teach you everything about ethics, but I think it's a good starting point for at least understanding why things are the way that they are now, as far as tech not being super diverse um, and, you know, having it be majority like white male dominated and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I do feel like there is a, not necessarily a stigma, but 
let's look at the first adverts, for example, of like PCs and then Xboxes and all this stuff. Like it was very much the young boy, you know, sitting there playing or learning how to code and all of that. And mm-hmm. even though tech's a very new industry, it's fascinating how just by blowing up in the time it did, it tends to suit one demographic over others because you'd think you know tech's only really blown up in the last 20 30 years you'd think it'd be more uh diverse more accessible but this whole i guess for lack of a better word the whole nerd um like stereotype is still very prominent yeah i mean if you think about it it's kind of like a chicken and egg problem right because you have the developers and people who are prominent in tech and so they're creating with their their demographic in mind um, and so, you know, if you think about like, I think the most common example is thinking about like products, right? If you have like a group of people who all kind of have the same experiences and background and stuff creating for a product, they're going to be thinking about a specific kind of user. Um, but that user, there might also be other users, you know, um, and like different things you should be considering. Um, so yeah, I agree. It's an issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very weird. I remember speaking to someone recently, um, an employer, and he was talking about how he was in a startup like very early in his career, and he worked on like an AI that would filter between you know the good candidates instead of doing those CVs by himself. And he was saying like he put in all these input uh, variables and stuff, and he was surprised when it turned out that everyone that got through to the interview process were all middle-aged white guys, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. I think he realized at the time that no matter how how thoroughly you refine your algorithms or your systems or whatever, it's fundamentally about the your input data. Like if you grow up in a certain environment, you're obviously going to tailor towards like a college degree or a certain, you know, learning two languages, for example. And those historic, um, what, I don't know what to say, like skills, I guess, those skill sets are very, up until recently, I guess, have been reserved for you know, for the middle class white people. And I think, yeah, it is tough. I don't really know how they can fix that other than having more color people or more ethnic minorities, as to say, in those positions. But then, as you say, it's chicken and egg issue, where it's like, how do you, how do you get them there in the first place? Yeah, yeah, no, I think um, as far as, yeah, like algorithms and stuff, like the issue is that people are implicitly biased. Um, so, you know, how do you make people not biased? That's a really tough question. Um, And then as far as like getting more people into STEM fields, like there's some research that's been done as far as like what keeps people in STEM fields um, or keeps like underrepresented groups in STEM fields. And some of it, a lot of it has to go down to like the amount of support that they get throughout their education. Um, So I think that there there are ways um, like it's not going to be easy to implement and it probably won't happen anytime soon. Um, But it, it is showing that there there is potential, I guess, to change and to like retain people of color and stuff like that in STEM fields. Absolutely. That's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. Just make sure all the good Reddits uh, rank highest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How have you found it uh, as a girl in STEM? Because, like, is it women in engineering? It's quite prominent here in Bristol, but what's your, I guess, direct experience yeah i mean i would say that california has is pretty good relatively um about keeping a gender balance so i actually studied cs at two of the colleges in the consortium um harvey mudd and pomona 
Um, and Harvey Mudd, I think, actually has like a 50% like male to female ratio. Um, so I thought that was really, really incredible. Like my classes, I never really noticed anything as far as uh, my classes being imbalanced. Um, I would say definitely in Bristol, I felt more of a difference as far as there not being very many women in my CS classes. Um, and like, I guess, yeah, it's true. Like the classes were way bigger. Um, so maybe there's just like a higher probability that there would be less women. Um, I feel like I noticed it more in Bristol though. And then as far as like being in industry, um, I guess my only real experience there was um, being in that small startup. And I definitely noticed that a lot of like the CEOs and people in charge were male. Um, and like if there were females, they wouldn't really be in like the top positions, you know, CEO, CTO, that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, I get that. I do find it interesting because when it comes to the top positions, even though I'm an advocate for getting more people of color in those positions, the way I see it is it's been it's been unfair for so long. And it's a thing where the CEO is gonna be a white male, the next in line is gonna be a white male, and the next like 20 people in line are all gonna be white males. <laughs> Not just because yeah. of um how things are now, but more so because of historical uh trends. Mm-hmm. Like I find it interesting. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna obviously take a look and see how long it takes for things to change, but it's definitely a, a thing that I don't think we can really observe within the next 50 years. Yeah, no, I think it's going to take a lot of time for sure. Cause change takes time always. Um, but I don't know. I don't think that's a reason to not keep fighting for it or whatever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Would you ever start your own business? Um, as far as startups, um, I would say like, probably no um i could see myself like joining leadership in maybe an already established company but um basically what i saw from my startup experience is that like it's very high amount of work with a potential like high risk high amount of work um and i feel like that's not really the best environment for me personally um just because like i like to be secure and knowing that like my hard work will definitely pay off and like it'll progress the company further or whatever Um, but with startups, you know, it's very iffy, like you could make it or you could very much not make it. And most of them don't. Um, so I feel like it would just be really sad to see, you know, five years of work, constant work on this one project, just not work out. Yeah, I get that. For me, it's more of less, it's more like I would rather start because I think I read somewhere that the average company or the average startup takes three years to go bust. Mm -hmm. And I would much rather work for 10 years on free startups that have them all fail and learn a lot than work in a small team in Google and not go anywhere for 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I think that that's very understandable and I can under, I can like see that. I guess the attraction for big companies for me um, is has to do with because I want to do philanthropy work um, and I know that these big companies have a lot of money to put towards it. Um, I feel like I see I have more opportunities at a bigger company to do more impactful work um, because they just have more resources for that kind of thing. Mm, I get that. Would you like to, because I think my, not necessarily a dream, but like a big goal of mine would be to work, not necessarily for Google, but like with them where I have full autonomy in a project and they just fund it or, and, you know, I kind of get a freedom to do what I want, but with the comfort of knowing that Google will back it and that's for mm-hmm. a good cause. 
Is that something mm. that you're looking for as well? Or is it straight up just working for a big company in a philanthropy team? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly don't know that much about logistics of like the difference between like getting funded or just working within the philanthropy department. Um, I mean, like, so we've had a couple of speakers come to my school who have worked within like the Microsoft philanthropy um, organization. Um, and it seems like they had fairly good control over the kind of project that they could do or like how exactly their project went. Um, more specifically, they were they were working in India, um, getting like computers and computer access to like schools there. Um, and it seemed like they had a pretty good amount of control over like how exactly the project went down and stuff like that. But I don't know that much about it. Yeah, that's fair enough. Are there any projects that you follow at the moment? Any products or projects? Uh, projects, philanthropy projects. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think there are any like really specific ones. Um, I know that Google has a cool one. Um, I forget the name of it now. Um, but basically it's the idea is like having a telephone pole encapsulated in like a hot air balloon. So basically this hot air balloon, you could like have it somewhere in like a more rural region, but it would actually supply Wi-Fi to the region, um, without having to build like, build like an extensive, expensive, like, um, you know, radio tower or something like that. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Tech, I don't know. I think it's just an example of how tech can very purposely be used to like, you know, helping other people and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm a big advocate for what Tesla do, irrespective mm -hmm. of uh, individual views of Elon Musk. But <laughs> <laughs> I think, and not just Tesla, to be fair, but there are a lot of companies that more so now than ever, I feel like are looking at certain industries be it the automotive one of tesla or you know telecommunications something with like what one plus are doing phones and they're saying like there's a big hole here yeah this is very stupid what's going on like let's fix that and mm -hmm. seeing people you know all gather together and innovate for something that for the longest time has very much been like like cemented like things you, you would never think that like an electric car would be popular today but it is and yeah, I've I've got a lot more faith nowadays in terms of because I feel like so many things seem hard to break down. Like how can you get electricity and you know a remote part of Africa? But realistically, it's not really that hard. It's just we need more minds working on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think tech just like it's moving so fast. Um, so it has a lot of potential to be like changing things quickly as well. Mm. Like for me, I, I come from a place where I've always believed that. We could have solved so many life problems so much earlier had we just invested in the right people. Like yeah. someone told me once, as an example, imagine if the cure for cancer was he gave it like a whole story that I can't remember like word for word, but it was along the lines of there's a kid somewhere that could have cured cancer ten years ago, but it turns out he was in sub-Saharan Africa and never made it past the age of five. And that stuck yeah. with me till now because it's like there's literally I think I read like 10% of the world's population have 1% of the world or something, or like probably a bigger number than that. But it's like, there are so many people out there that have so many skills and so much knowledge that we don't even appreciate purely because of, you know, capitalism or, you know, buying the latest iPhone or something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's crazy. And like, as we're speaking,
speaking I googled it earlier like philanthropy and tech and <laughs> and good I know it says good for tech in Bristol as well so that's definitely really? huh. yeah. that's definitely going to be my next my next chrome tab uh i think the last thing that i can think of is your overall experience at uni so far yeah um just kind of like what i've what i've thought about it yeah just like how have you found it your high points and low points yeah i mean i would definitely say like i've really enjoyed my uni experience um i think it I guess the low point would be like figuring out what exactly I want out of college and like where I want to be. Um, so, you know, of course, transferring universities across the country, um, you know, having to start all over again as a transfer and then changing my major and stuff. All of that was kind of hard to to decide upon. But um, I would definitely say that I've kind of found my place and it took me a while to find like a group of people that I felt that I really got along with. Um, but I think I finally found those kinds of people. And as far as just like finding things that I like to do, um, I feel like California has been like a really great place for me because, you know, tech is really interesting to me. Um, there's a lot of really cool hiking places in California, um, West Coast in general. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'd say I'm, I'm pretty happy with what I've gotten to do um, throughout university. That's great, man. Glad to hear you say it. <laughs> what, what would you say are some individual highlights between your three experiences? Um, I would say that in Maine, um, it was just so different. And I thought it was kind of hard at the time, but I think that I grew a lot as far as a lot of the students there were from like Boston prep schools. Um, and so like, you know, I'm a someone from Southern Texas. Um, so that was something I hadn't really experienced before, as well as seasons. Um, even though the winter was kind of long and dark, uh, it was definitely like a beautiful fall um, with all the fall colors. Um, and then, you know, I've never been happier to see spring. Um, <laughs> as far as like Bristol, um, yeah, I would say just like meeting all kinds of new people. Um, from all over the world. Um, maybe that was more just me being an exchange student, um, that I was around so many international students. Um, but even just getting to really know people who are from the UK, um, I thought that was an extremely valuable experience. Um, and then California, um, I don't know, I guess just like finding kind of like a maybe lifestyle and like set of people who kind of hold the same values as me and like want to do the same kinds of things as me um that's been really great mm, I can see the, the benefits to that I definitely think after seeing you come here and talking about it more I'm a lot more interested in in getting out more <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no I I definitely strongly believe in like the value of experiences like not even intentional experiences, but just doing things that are different from what you normally do. Um, even on like a, like a neuroscience level, like when you do something new or learn something new, like your brain is actually changing. Um, and so I think you can like kind of become smarter through experiences in a very technical way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like, even in terms of general learning, like 
I always say that we as humans have the ability to learn from other people's mistakes instead of actually having to do things yourselves. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned mentorship before, reading, like all these things, just learning more, doing more, living more. There's, you just can't go wrong. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like even if you're failing or something, you, you're still learning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in some way. All right. Um, I do want to ask, actually. I know I'm, again, trying to steer clear of politics, <laughs> but the, what's the 2020 climate like? Because obviously you can't go out and vote like this. Yeah. I, mean, I know we have a couple months anyway, but. Yeah, I think that it, it definitely is different um, this go around because the main focus is not on the election. It's on the, you know, the virus and stuff. Um, and. I think it's, I don't know, I feel like I have a a distorted kind of perspective because, you know, like my family is liberal and then like all of the undergraduate colleges are generally pretty liberal. So I live kind of in a bubble um, as far as like what the overall climate in America is like. Um, If you look at the numbers, surprisingly, I think Trump has a pretty high approval rating um, relative to like what maybe you hear from the news and stuff like that. but I think that the election, this upcoming election, will be more about like either you're on Trump's side or you're you just want anyone but him. Um, and so I guess it was kind of similar to the 2016 election. You know, you either like really want Hillary, or you really want Trump. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be interesting because I think they were pushing back or trying to push back some of the like regional elections and stuff. Um, so to see how the the virus influences that and like how how politicians are kind of shaping their arguments for why they should be elected it's gonna be interesting yeah yeah i would definitely vote in favor of the man who gives me two grand a month (laughs) oh no (laughs) (laughs) it's a good thing i'm not american (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh man right um that's basically what i have for you it'll be great to have you on uh when you're working in california yeah yeah no i think it'll be i mean if if things go back to normal whenever things go back to normal (laughs) yeah literally just make sure you save me a room because i'll be there very soon (laughs) sounds good yeah once (laughs) once like anyone can travel anywhere ever then yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah stay tuned for covid 21 oh man (laughs) 